Welcome to Bottom Line's Top Dollars, a podcast about all the money things you suspect might be ruining your life. I'm Laura Boo, recording from the island of Abegwicht on traditional and unceded Mi'kmaq territory, otherwise known as Prince Edward Island, Canada. And I'm Hadassah Damian, recording on unceded Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute land, a.k.a. Denver, Colorado. Together, we are the Ladies Who Crunch, two queer artist buds with careers in finance and hearts in anti-capitalist liberation. That's right. Find us online at ladieswhocrunch.club and support us on Patreon. Look for Bottom Line's Top Dollars. So welcome to Season 3, wherein we dive into practical ways to thrive in late-stage capitalism. Welcome, everyone. This is Episode 4 of Bottom Line's Top Dollars, third season, where we just break down how to get things done. Today, we're going to talk about one of the biggest financial accomplishments that people think about, work towards, and that is the big R in the sky, retirement, (laughs) darling. I love when you say things like that that I really don't expect. (laughs) <laughs> I can see it's in the clouds. It's like kind of fuzzy. It's like up there. I should get my telescope. Like what, what, where is it? How do I, could I navigate there? Like that's how everybody kind of thinks about retirement. Sort of like, let me clean my glasses. Can I? I mean, to be honest, to me, retirement, the number one thing that comes to my mind is the golden girls. Well, I mean. <laughs> because, you know, I didn't. Child of your generation. Yeah. I didn't really have grandparents who retired. So, you know, like on one side, my grandparents basically worked until the end. And on the other side, I didn't like, I suppose, yeah, like one, one of my grand, one got sick and then the other one in retirement actually went into, into like local politics. So for me, retirement, like my vision of it is legit like the Golden Girls. It's all like jungle print and like flowing outfits. I'm retired. <laughs> My outfit says. <laughs> it's interesting. We in in kind of like getting into this episode, yeah, we first had to be like what is retirement? Like what is this conceptual thing? Is it lounging with your three besties in comfort wear with a wonderful print without and eating cheesecake? I mean, yum. <laughs> I feel like retirement is therefore how I spend New Year's. Um, I just learned, (laughs) you know, but is it like having a different thing that you do starting to be working in local politics, right? Is it doing the thing that you were doing, but in a different way, Mm -hmm. doing less of it, you know? And one thing that I was thinking about with this, like this whole concept of retirement is I don't have to work. And so To me, I unpack that to be like, well, retirement is a concept for us because most people have to work, right? And like having to work, it's like, it's just part of like that fundamental non-consent in our economic system. Yeah. Like you're born and now you have to work and then you keep doing that. I have to acquire the money (laughs) and you have to, even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel that good that day, like. For most people, they have to figure out how to like get some resources, which is how you can end up in work that you dislike because you have to do something. And so to me, this whole like retirement as a, as a sort of like 
golden egg at the at the end of our working lives, which we, we're going to trouble these concepts. We dream about it because we dream about the end of compulsory labor. And so what we're going to be talking about today are what are the ways, what are the methods people can use to get to the end of compulsory labor? So we want to acknowledge that some people are going to want to like keep doing things. Like retirement doesn't mean you just sit down for a couple decades. Um, yeah. Although it doesn't the mean that girls, you become useless. Might. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think that that's part of like the, the kind of narrative of capitalism that also is super ageist and devalues mm-hmm. old people in society being like, if you're not performing labor, then you're expendable, which in the context of the pandemic, I think has been made perfectly clear in the way in which society basically decided to sacrifice an entire age bracket of people where they were just like, okay, bye, you're going to die now. But because they're not useful anymore, I think that retirement or no longer working absolutely doesn't mean that you're not contributing. I think that Like you say, it's just being able to have choice about what you do with your time. Mm -hmm. And I think that this episode has been probably one of the, like, amongst my kind of social circle, it is the thing that I hear people talk about with the most kind of anxiety you know my most of my circle of friends is kind of in in their 30s and 40s and 50s at this point and a lot of them are very stressed about this topic (laughs) totally totally so so yeah if if retirement is the end of compulsory labor what that means functionally is that You don't have to work to get the money that you have to have to survive in society. So really what we're asking when we're thinking about retirement is, is how do you accumulate enough resources or set up your need for resources such that you don't have to labor for additional resources to take care of your needs? And it's just even having to spell it out like that to me is always like, oh God, the system that we live in where you're like, let's all strategize about this, uh, some of these very basic questions, but here we are and we're going to talk about it today. Yeah, because so many people rightfully worry, is it possible to accumulate resources mm-hmm. such that they have a resource pool that will take care of myself? Is it ethical to do so. I'm going to lay the baseline for today's episode that yes, it is ethical to make sure that you are able to take care of yourself in a system that requires that that individualizes and requires us figuring this out. So you might figure it out on your own or with some other people. You might figure it out in a more independent or more collective way, but I think it is 100% okay for us to each answer the question of, I want to make sure that I have what I need to be healthy and well and cared for. Yes. it is, And we are in a system that requires that you are going to have to accumulate wealth resources in order to do so. So that's actually such a good baseline to set. And another kind of sort of preamble is I think that you know, even my concept of retirement is something that you do or get to do when you are old, you know, this idea of working till 65, or, you know, they've recently actually increased the age of retirement, and they need us to work longer. This idea that 
you know, you have to work until you're old and then you're no longer able to work. So you retire. But there is also other other concepts or other kind of timelines for retirement. 100%. There is, of course, a lot of people who might have heard the concept of fire or financial financial independence, retire early. This concept of you don't need to wait to be 65 to retire, that you can work towards hitting kind of a, a situation in your life where you can stop working before 65. So this isn't just an episode for people who are like, oh my goodness, how am I going to, I'm I'm in my 40s, I'm worried about making it in time to retire, you know, by the age of 65 or 70. This retirement is not attached to age. Even if the government tells you what the government mandated age of retirement is, you can work towards a goal of retirement whenever you want. Totally. And I think also not tying retirement to age can it, it can remind us that for many people, I mean, there's kind, of, there's kind of two key scenarios. One, you're like, I like what I do. I'm going to do it for as long as possible. I might want to do less of it at some point in life, but I anticipate that I'll probably continue like some form of like labor, whether it's the same labor or different labor, just as, as long as the goddess gives me air to breathe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so retirement in that sense is like, again, I've got resources such that I don't have to do a certain amount of labor or else I'm in trouble. And then the other scenario I think is people who are like, well, I feel like I need to keep working because the numbers are telling me that like, I don't have enough money coming mm -hmm. in otherwise. Right. And so the alternatives to, to this like quote proper retirement age, which is a modern construction are like thinking of retirement as something that can happen earlier in your life. Thinking of it as this kind of flexible thing where you might at some point in life just realize or decide or have run your numbers. You don't have to work as much. Or retirement might actually be a thing that isn't feasible in a, I don't have to work for some money, but you will get to potentially a point in life where you're able to pull on some of the social benefits and you're working for some of your other money, right? So yeah, I, I don't want us to set up like a, a situation here where it's like the only way to retire is to like, not have to work. For some people who are listening to this, for some people, like just the way that things are going to play out based on like where you are today, your work, et cetera, you might actually have to work. That doesn't mean don't think about the money that's going to be able to come to you based on other benefits or based on some of the strategies we'll talk about today that you can put in, in place, right? Like yeah. retirement is even if it feels scary or impossible, like the things we're going to talk about today are going to be useful things for you to do, even if you can't quote solve or have some perfect, whatever that means, fully funded retirement. That would yes. be great. Some of you will. Some of you are just going to like put some extra cushion in place to make it easier for yourself later, which will also future you will also be very happy for. So and I wanted to add one more thing to that because as you were talking, I was like, oh, I can think of another possibility, which is I think that there are people, you know, in my life, I grew up where my entire family made their living off of harness racing. Like, you know, my grandfather, my uncles, my father, my mother, everyone raced horses for a living and none of them ever spoke about retirement. And in fact, all of them basically did that job until they until the day they died. But 
even if you have, uh, if you're kind of living your dream, which I feel like my family really were doing the thing that they love most in the world, which is kind of amazing. I think that the things we're going to talk about today, building this kind of cushion of resources, even if you're like, I don't really dream of stopping doing what I'm doing. I'm an artist and I'm going to make art until I die. And even if you're making your living off of your art and you're like, so I'm just going to keep doing it until people don't want to buy my work anymore or whatever. There's also another possibility, which is sometimes the world doesn't give us a choice about stopping laboring, even if you like your labor because sometimes we get sick mm-hmm. and sometimes, and this was what happened to my father is his retirement was not by choice. My father became unable to work because of illness. And even if you're like in this situation where I'm very happy for you that you're like living your labor dream of you, you do the thing that you love every day and you're like, I'm going to do this until the day I die. I think that thinking about some of these strategies we're going to talk about today is still important because it is setting up a cushion for you to be able to take care of yourself if laboring no longer is a possibility for you outside of your own control. Totally, totally. I want to talk, I I had to like, I always have to know how things are and how they came to be. So I had to look up like, what's the history of retirement? Of course you did. (laughs) I just kind of know. I mean, like, again, capitalism is a construction. Retirement is a construction. They didn't always exist. (laughs) New. And so it's in the last 150 years or so. So it kind of tracks with industrial capitalism starting as like one of the key forms of labor for people. Because before there was a trend of everyone working for somebody else, the trend was that people worked for themselves. So you had your family farm, like maybe you were an artisan, like there was just a very... um, self-reliant, but familially interconnected kind of way of living, right? As that atomized and people moved more into cities, moved more into industrial work, into factory work, into having employers. The first pensions were actually put together for soldiers. Germany cleared the way for worker pensions, like the 1860s, late uh, 19th century, You know, and it's interesting because when Germany first put together their pensions, they put them up at age 70 and the average worker lifespan at that time was 70. So they were like, basically, if you exceed the average, we give you a little tip. All right. (laughs) You uh, did all of your pushups every day. You're extra healthy, you know, and yeah, like so pensions started or retirement started as this idea of a pension for work. The first workers who got these types of payouts were military. Right. So in the U.S., like soldiers who fought in the Civil War got pensions. Then we start moving into pensions for workers. And there was a period where like much labor in the U.S., at least, I'm going to I'm going to guess similarly in Canada, came with a sort of guaranteed benefit at the end of work. So like my grandparents generation, people who worked from like the 1920s to the 1960s, 70s. There was a lot of like, you work for this company, you get a pension at the end. Thank you so much for doing everything that you did. So like, for example, my grandpa worked for the railroad for 50 years after he got back from the war. And when he was done, he had a pension. Which is such an interesting idea. And when he died, my my grandma got the pension. So like, Uh. it wasn't just like, (laughs) sorry, spouse. It like, there continued to be a payout to the spouse, right? So there was this like, 
and and people like in in Laura in my generation that very very few jobs have that now but there was a time when this idea of like a social benefit because of work was was common was really really common i feel like this is such an interesting thing and to me that shift is like the 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 shift from that vision of the world where the the labor that you put in that you would labor at one job for your entire adult life and that that labor that you gave them that commit that long-term commitment should not only be compensated by the hour in the moment but that that labor was actually should be compensated until you died it's like a loyalty reward yeah exactly that if you stuck with them and gave your you know adult working years to a specific company or a specific purpose or goal that then they would take care of you until you died. And also built in that is the assumption that only one person in your household, namely the namely the husband, was working, that it that, that labor wasn't just about funding that one person. It was about funding the couple. The family. Yeah. Exactly. And that yeah. the couple would, you know, assuming that the husband would die first that the company would continue to take care of the wife because the wife's labor facilitated the husband being able to go to work, which I think is like a whole generational feeling, which I really want people to, to like remember that this was very intentionally destroyed, like destroyed in that shift towards like neoliberalism. Yep. It was really like that Thatcher Reagan mm-hmm. moment of union busting and kind of moving towards this notion that there is no such thing as community. There's only individuals and families. And that was moving away from, you know, like when you were talking about before there was even retirement at all, you know, when we, that retirement and pension as a concept came out of the kind of breakdown of extended family and community and Mm. became that and then in order to then there was the breakdown even of the notion of your job as a commun a replacement for community and now we're all just individuals and when you clock out if you die on the way home the end <laughs> yeah ha <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah so yeah if retirement then you know it, in its sort of nascent origins was about some sort of idea of like a bit of like paternalistic care for the worker. Now retirement is it's a it's a DIY proposal for most it's of your us. Your responsibility. You only. figure it out. And so some people will have the types of jobs that will like have a retirement account that you can put money in. And sometimes the employer will put money into it. But this sort of like guaranteed payout time of life is over unless you tend to work for or unless you work for like a, a city or a state or the military, or like a real strong union, but we can get into some of these, right? So end of this guaranteed stuff. And and in the current state of people thinking about retirement, there's another guarantee that seems a little shaky right now, which is how how long is this world going to be comfortable and feasible for human beings to inhabit, right? So there's there's a climate nihilism aspect to retirement that I think we just have to name early. Because those of you who are thinking about it are thinking about it are thinking about it hard. They're like, well, why even think about this? Why listen to this episode if we've only got till 2040 anyway? Yeah, like it's the same thing of why people are like, 
a lot of people are thinking about the the impending climate doom when they're thinking about all these kind of quote unquote investments in the future, including having children or, mm. you know, like, like you say, saving for retirement, doing a lot of things for the future. People are really wise because saving is when retirement now falls on the individual to save from their current income for the future. You have to say to yourself, why would I diminish the amount of resources I have to spend on having great times now in order to take care of myself in a future that I don't even know is going to exist? Except if it does <laughs> exist. And then you're going to really wish you had, you had a place to- <laughs> gone out to one less dinner a month and put some money aside, which is why we're having this conversation. Hedge your bets. Hedge your bets. Hedge your bets, people. You're going to, like, those oxygen filters are not going to be cheap. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not wrong. So climate nihilism, fair. And then back to what we were saying at the beginning, like, nowadays, not only are we living much, much longer, which is awesome, like, People are just, there's often a blur between the start of work and the stop of work from an age and lifeline perspective, lifetime perspective. And so back to this idea of you might be like, yeah, I don't work full time anymore, but, but I pick up a shift here or there because I'm a nurse and they can still call me in. And yeah, I like what I do and I'm good at it. It's legit exactly my mother's situation. I brought that up because that is your mama. We know this is a valid example and somebody does it. You know, or you might be like, yeah, I consult here. I stopped working full time at 60, but now I consult, right? Which is like my personal dream, except for I'm living it today, which is awesome. God, I love you so much. <laughs> but, so much. It's like, I got to do it for like, I, I still have 20 more years to put money in my retirement accounts to go. I got to pay this house off too. But there's, there's all these creative ways that we can think about retirement. There's reasons you might be like, well, I don't have to think about this. Yeah. We're going to go to the next section, assuming that you want to think about it and you do want to figure it out because we do want each of you who are listening and you, Laura, I want this for you. I want this for me. I want to have a point at which work is optional. I'm getting closer all the time, but I'm not there. And it seems pretty uh, sweet considering (laughs) the last 40 something years of non-optional work. Yeah. And I also think that this, for me, it's a little bit of like, the worry about the late start, you know, because I think that people Mm -hmm. are also spending more longer and longer in school. Or trying to get to that first job where you've got a little flex money. Where it used to be that you could get out of high school and have a, be able to start a job that was enough to live off of and raise a family. And now that's not necessarily the case. You know, I think about an uncle of mine who, you know, started working when like started his career and joined actually the Mounties. I have an uncle who is a Mountie. Yeah. Wow. I know. So uh, Canadian. You should hear our uh, dinner time debates. Uh, but anyway, I love him very much, but we definitely have very different opinions about things. But he joined the Mounties when he was 17, which means that he had put in 40 years when he was 57. Oh, wow. And was like done, basically. And like had put in 40 40- years of work by the time he was 57 because he joined the Mounties when he was 17. When he, so early. Right? So early. And I mean, that narrative to me, when I remember when he told me that, I was like, what? That's not really what's going on. And for someone like me, I kind of, you know, lived that punk life and didn't really start making money where I had any excess at all 
until my mid-30s because, you know, I had this revelation, went back to school in my early 30s and, you know, started working as an accountant near my mid-30s. And I have a lot of friends who, you know, they worry about changing their jobs or going back to school because they worry about the clock. So Mm -hmm. there's ways there, there's definitely, and I guess I just want to say, even if you think that you have a late start, still please listen to this, this, this episode. And the next section we're going to talk about, which are practical strategies for figuring out how to get the resources together to have that choice to stop working. And that these strategies can, you can start to employ them at any time. Because even if you're starting late, it it does have an impact, but it doesn't automatically opt you out. For sure. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's get into it. So I feel like there's a couple ways, especially when I'm like talking to people about like retirement, savings money, saving money. How does this work? There's a couple of different ways you can go into it. And it's a little bit like two sides of the same coin. So one is how much money do I need to retire? The other side of the coin is how much money can I possibly save today? And they inform each other, right? Because you can come up with whatever number you want for how much you want to retire on. But today's reality of how much money you can save is going to be a limiter to, in a way, coming up with that final number. How much money have you saved? And Every, you know, over time, over the course of your life, how much money you can save is going to change over time. So, you know, if you are a new parent and you're putting your kid in daycare, the amount of money that you can save is going to be probably a lot less than once your kid goes into school and you don't have to pay for daycare anymore. For example, right? If you are starting out in your career and you know that a couple of years down the line, like, you know, the work that you do is going to pay a certain amount more. You're going to look at your budget today and be like, okay, I can, this is the amount I can save today, but I know and expect that later, as long as I keep doing this work, it's going to, it's going to Mm -hmm. open up for me a bit. So the amount of money you can save today is just a really useful number because it kind of, it's what you can do right now. It is the practical application of what we're going to talk about in like the next 10, 20 minutes. But one way you can just start to like figure out how much you know, like, how's this retirement thing going to work? Step one is like, well, what money do I not need to use for my like basic cost of living stuff today? Great. You know, as long as you're above zero um, in terms of your income and your basic cost covered, now you have some money that you can start to say, all right, should I put a hundred bucks a month aside? Should I put 300 bucks a month aside? Should I put 500 bucks a month aside, whatever it is. Yeah. It's basically saying of the excess amount of cash above my expenses that are, you know, not really choices. How much of this do I want to spend on, you know, kind of fun spending now versus how much do I want to put away for the future? And that I think is a dial you can, you know, you can dial up and down depending on so many factors that I don't think we can get into right now, but I kind of wanted to go back to this question of how much money will you need for retirement? Because that's a question that I think a lot of people ask all the time. Like, how do I know how much I need to save to retire on? 
And this is a super tough number. And to be honest, it's a bit of a rabbit hole. And in some ways, a, a, maybe it's, it'll just d- drive you more nuts than it is useful. What I can say is that its usefulness is, I think, if you don't ask, if you don't actually think about to, to not work in the future, then you won't realize that, you know, it's actually a pretty big chunk of money. Mm-hmm. But when you, but y- there is no maximum to it. It goes on forever. And as far as the minimum goes, it's a little bit of, it, it sometimes can be demotivating if you're like, right. oh, I would need absolutely this minimum or else how am I going to survive? Well, if your purpose of calculating that is to make yourself feel hopeless, then just don't do it. But if the purpose yeah. of doing it is to be able to understand how much of your kind of money to decide around you should put towards savings versus you can release to yourself today, then go ahead and do it to give yourself a sense of the scale of what you're going to need in the future. Because I think it's easy to say, oh, I have $500 that I can either put in savings, that I can split between savings and current spending. What should my proportion be? Go ahead and take a minute and, you know, calculate how much it costs for you know, your basic living expenses per month multiplied by the number of years you think you will, should want to live after retirement, and then dial it up for inflation. Because remember that uh, in the future, things are going to cost more than they cost today. And if you just listen to that and you're like, how that that spreadsheet just broke my brain. <laughs> There's tons of like online calculators out there that can help do this for you that will take into a cost like what, you know, you think your cost of living is going to be and and inflation and they will estimate like various contributions to accounts for you. Just please don't do it if it if you if it's going to demotivate you like I, I'm just saying yeah, no. only do it if you think it's going to motivate you to save more and you need that motivation because you have a, a right. problem with giving up today stuff for tomorrow. Mm. Because if you're doing it in order to stress yourself out, that is actually really not a fun activity. Just don't bother. <laughs> totally. Totally. And like, I mean, if you want us to make it easy for you, which we can't, but like <gasps> the rule of thumb for saving for, for savings is 20% of your income right? Like split between short-term savings and long-term retirement savings. Now, adjust as needed for your reality. And some of you are going to be like, that doesn't make sense. Well, then you're going to have to go crunch your numbers, my friends, (laughs) you know, and figure it out. Like I've been on a long-term 15% retirement savings for ever since I started making more money. And then before that, it was 10% retirement savings. And I, the person, I started putting money into retirement accounts probably when I was like 27 or 28 and I really was not making a lot of money. So I wasn't putting much into those accounts, but I was just like, I was just kind of always nervous about the future. I was like, I know about enough about money to know I'm going to need some later. (laughs) So I'm just going to start like sticking money in, you know, now I like have retirement accounts, but I also have non-retirement accounts that I also put money in because I'm on a financial independence, retire early journey. Although I don't think it'll be that early as opposed to like official ages. It doesn't matter because the goal is accumulating resources that you can live on at a certain time in your life, whenever. And and to be honest, calculating that number, 
it's just motivational and informational because the efforts mm-hmm. that you do today, they're going to turn out as they're going to turn out. You know, you do the work that you can in the present. You don't know what the future is going to bring. You work towards a goal. And you know what? If it if you calculated that you need 500000 or a million dollars to retire and you fall a little bit short, you're still better off than if you did absolutely fuck all. And I think one other conceptual thing here is like, and this is a bit of a brain breaker, but say that you put hypothetical, like a a hundred thousand dollars, it takes you however long it takes you, you know, whatever, seven, 10, 15 years, you get a hundred thousand dollars in an investment account. It takes much shorter than that for investment to do the work to grow that Mm -hmm. money. And so this is part of where like timeline comes in, like, I'm like, yeah, like young Damien, even though I wasn't putting a ton of money into my investment accounts because I was in my late 20s, that money has more time to like work and grow and do it's doing work for me. Right. So like the 50 bucks I put in in my 20s is should because of time and like accumulation on investments kind of have an equivalence to like the 200 that I'm putting into my 40s. Right. And so you, I want you all to be thinking like when you're kind of creating your nest egg, that nest egg is also working for you. So you don't have to personally save a million dollars. You would just have to get money into some sort of investment that will grow in value. So the money's doing work that you don't have to do such that at the, when you get to the time of your retirement, that that account has the value that it has. And even then when you're pulling money out of that account or when you're pulling from that, like, resource, it's still gaining interest. Like it's still making money. So you might have a hypothetical, this would be awesome, million dollar account that you pull a hundred thousand dollars out of, but at the same time it makes $50,000. So it's not like your million dollar account now is only 900. No, it's made money. So your million dollar account is now 950 hypothetical, right? So what does that mean when you, and this is why I love like calculators and online things for this, because it's just kind of, it's convoluted, right? So you're asking yourself, okay, how do I put money somewhere that I can pull some money out of it, but it continues to make money for me so that I'm not burning it down immediately, right? That's, so you're trying to create this nest egg that you can pull from that's still making money for you. That's one of your routes to retirement. Another of your routes to retirement is to reduce the amount of money that you need to pull from that nest egg in the first place by diminishing your costs or working towards diminishing your future yes. costs. And that's that's the thing. It's not if, like in order to save you one strategy in the present is to diminish your current costs, your present costs. But what Hadassah is talking about mm-hmm. is strategies for diminishing your future costs. And that doesn't, and I think that the, this is kind of the number one way is to say in the future, what are all the things I'm, that I would need to spend money on to live, you know, and really it's the same stuff that you have to spend money on now, housing, food, utilities, transportation, all of these things. How do I try to make it so that in the future, those costs are less. And this is kind of like the bread and butter of retirement strategy is buying and paying off a house Mm -hmm. in the present or as, you know, as 
whenever you can is one of the primary strategies for helping yourself retire in the future. Because the idea is that you will hopefully have paid off your house by the time you would want to retire. And the thing is, I know a lot of that hasn't worked out for everybody. I definitely know people in my family who retired and then were paying off the end of a mortgage from a fixed income, which was pretty rough. It's a reality, but people who have a house that's paid off, that is one of your largest expenses that is gone, right? Right, 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 right. And, but if you're not into like buying a home or you feel like buying a home in this market is totally out of your realm of possibility, then what I just said maybe made you swallow your own tongue, but it is not the only option. Thinking about how to diminish your housing costs in the future, there are alternative ways to approach that, including potentially looking at cooperative housing options, getting into a housing co-op. Yeah. If you're somewhere where there's like rent control, yes. like living somewhere where your like apartment rent is getting one of those apartments that where the the rent only changes a certain amount. Especially if the amount that it changes is less than the rate of inflation. I have kind of like an auntie and uncle-in-law in my family circle who have been in the same apartment since the early 80s in New York City and they have rent control and you know they're retired renters and it's feasible for them because of what you said their rent has remained very low which means you know, as time has passed, their expenses have actually fallen way below market value. You can also, there's also a lot of other kind of uh, more sustainable alternative housing situations that you can think of. A lot of people, of course, are all over the internet dreaming about all kinds of different models. But the key is being able to, what you're looking for is something that either the cost of it will remain stable or decrease as you get older, mm -hmm. and that the housing is secure, that it will not be taken away from you, especially if your income diminishes. So that's kind of what you're looking for. Another strategy for diminishing future costs is actually thinking about where you want to live as far as not just the cost of housing, but all of the other expenses surrounding life. So what I mean by that is think about access to resources like food, energy, transportation, and a pretty big one, especially as you get older, is healthcare. Totally. So, you know, for myself in Canada, I, when I'm thinking about retirement, I don't have to worry about, I mean, or at least I worry a lot less about cost of illness when I'm old because of socialized medicine. So, you know, in that kind of cost structure of your future costs, thinking about, you know, you really need to think about what the what the costs of healthcare are, or you know, moving into a place where all of the resources that you would need to live are potentially as low as possible. Which I guess, thinking about it in the future, is asking yourself how, you know, none of us are can really see the future, or if other people can, then. Wow. But um, then then yeah, give us some info out. in the comments. <laughs> help me out. But like, you really need to think, what is the probability of these resources being accessible and secure where I am in the future? Totally. Yeah. And like some of this, I think, can be 
Yeah. Some of it you won't know. And some of it is like, oh, like you want to live in like a rural commune with your friends might be like a really awesome way to live in your like 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe into your 60s, maybe at some point in your 70s that starts to get hard. Maybe in your 80s, you're like, I maybe you're like looking ahead and being like, mm, I don't really want to be like hoeing the garden in my 80s, you know? Yeah. And that's that's okay, great. So like you're a little bit trying to have some of this like future state vision of how you want your life to be, of how what you think you might need, you know? So and also so, like a community. Yeah. You know, I think about the end of my father's life. And I was talking with my partner about this the other day, and I thought to myself how lucky my father was because even though, I mean, his he had a, a you know, like a collective kind of pension plan with the horseman's union that he was in, and it imploded and collapsed in 2008, which was the same year that he got sick and had to stop working. So it was really, really unfortunate. So my father actually had the legit nightmare situation as far as the, you know, the, the, the traditional narrative of how you take care of yourself when you get older and or sick. But the way that my father hit the jackpot was that he had built extremely strong, extended family and community ties. And people came together and helped to take care of him. And my father spent the next 10 years living at home and people took care of him and this and this kind of thing where you might want to say to yourself or think about and look at what kind of community situation you're living in because you know being absolutely an independent island where you take care of yourself you don't take care of anybody else or you take like this is all well and good yeah except when except it doesn't, work, doesn't except work. when it doesn't work and this is the mutual aid model right <laughs> Right. And let me just also be like, whatever, like the, the, the other dad here to be like, <laughs> and how did Laura's dad's friends, like, what did they have that enabled them to support Laura's dad along with deep social ties was additional resources that they could contribute. Mm -hmm. Right. So you could in your mind be like, okay, let's be part of strong social systems so that I can receive. But you can also be like, let's be part of strong social systems and throw some money in the bag <laughs> so that I can contribute to the people who are part of my my community and take care of others. Yeah, it's it's basically like diversify, diversifying the risk where you're yeah. saying, you know what, I can save as well as I can on my own, but you never know when a 2008 comes along and takes all your shit away. But the more people you band together with, the more chances are that there's going to be enough success stories to offset the disasters. That's and right. And that's like what social aid and pleasure clubs were like developed like at the turn of the century in like in the South, right? Like black folks, African-Americans like weren't able to, weren't like, weren't getting any of the resources. They weren't getting like the soldier pensions. Mm. There wasn't social security yet, right? So this is just like a long tested solution, right? To this, to this problem of not everyone's going to have all the resources they need. Let's build strong communities. But also for those of us who can build resources, also build strong communities and then, and then give into those communities. Exactly. It's being, and that's the idea that we're, I mean, this is kind of the base concept for any kind of social security net, a social safety net, like social security, uh, socialized medicine, any of those things is the notion that banding together, more of us will do better 
than if we are completely selfish. And I mean, this is why investments in group pension funds do better than when you invest by yourself. But all that to say this, I think this whole part of thinking about retirement is the part that doesn't get talked about enough because everyone just shoves 401ks and RSPs down your throat because the banks and everyone wants you to do that. The, the, it's the individualist approach. But also please think about the other side, which is diminishing future costs, investing in community and mutual aid. Now that we've said that part, which we say first for us, let's actually go to the other part, which is, yes, even if you can diminish as many of your future costs as possible and you have like a bitchin community and all of that is in place, there still needs to be the part where you create a source of money to draw from in the future mm-hmm. that doesn't require your labor. And or even, might I say, a couple sources. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a couple different strategies here. These are not mutually exclusive, right? Yes, you, you can do a bunch of them. You could do a bunch of them. I'm pro do a bunch of them, in part based on like what the story that Laura just told. Laura's dad had this pension and the pension fell apart, right? So like there's this idea in, like, in, in financial sort of management that is this idea of risk management. And so any one of these nest eggs that you could so diligently and thoughtfully put your money into could in fact fall apart because fundamentally capitalism is risky. And the world is strange and unexpected things happen. That doesn't mean don't do it, but that does mean do it with your eyes wide open and think about having a couple different backup plans, things going on. (laughs) Yeah. Like have a couple different bags if possible. So like the main types of savings and retirement bags are literally like savings accounts. You have those with the bank retirement accounts. Those are investing accounts you could have with a bank more likely in Canada or a brokerage, more likely in the US, or guaranteed payment accounts that are like, that's like the pension, right? For those of you who like work for the state, shout out, um, or who are teachers, thank you very much, right? And also the US and Canada has their own social pensions that are smaller payouts, right? So, the, so there's already three types of bags you could have your money in, right? You could have some like cash on hand and savings, You could have retirement investment accounts. You could have a pension hypothetically from a job or your government small pension. You could also have investing accounts that aren't retirement accounts because retirement accounts have some specific rules for taxes and when you can take the money out. And then finally, you could also have some like income sources that you don't have to labor for. So like passive income, what up, Which, you know, <laughs> the internet loves to talk about passive income. So <laughs> the internet loves to talk about passive income, right? But passive income could be anything from like, you have royalties on a piece of like intellectual property that you made, you're like a writer, you're a filmmaker, right? You get money from that. But it could also look like passive income could look like any sort of investment, anything that you put together that continues to make money. That could be dividends on stocks or bonds that you own. It could be rents that you get from like a property that you have, or maybe you like have a roommate kind of like at your house sort of situation, right? So these are five different places that you can 
think about when you're like, what, what am I putting together in terms of my, like, where the money is going to come from plan. But in order for the money to come from those, you have to put money into them (laughs) in the shorter term, right? In the near term. So let's, let's kind of break a few of them down. So, and as you could see in that description, a lot of them kind of overlap as well. So when we talk about savings, savings is really just saying money that you earn now, instead of spending it now, you put it aside for future use. And the difference between these different things that we've talked about is what kind of vehicle you put those savings into. So in general, the the, the kind of problem with just you know, saying, oh, I'm not going to spend this money, I'll put it aside, is that if you just take that money and put it under your mattress or just, you know, keep it in your checking account and don't spend it, is that because of inflation, which (laughs) I feel like I don't have to define inflation because over the past year, we've all learned very clearly what inflation is. It's been a gift as a financial educator. (laughs) It, It means that inflation means that your savings if you put your money somewhere where your money doesn't grow on its own, it means that whatever you save today is going to lose value over time. So the main thing is that whatever you do with the money you don't spend today, the money that you're putting aside for future use, is that you need to put it into something where that money grows. It earns money. It grows somehow. Now, you can do that in a bunch of different ways, but let's start with kind of the basic. You, If you're going to take money and put it aside into whether it's a bank or a brokerage or an investment, let's put that aside for a minute. You can invest it in something like bonds or other vehicles that earn you interest. This, These are usually lower return, but lower risk. You can take those savings and invest in stocks, which is essentially buying, you know, small pieces of companies. It's like buying a representative value based on the belief of what other people think the company's worth. You don't really own the company. Which I'm sure that maybe you thought that was a simpler way to say it. (laughs) No, it's because people sometimes get stressed out. They're like, oh, I don't want to own part of a company. Companies are bad. Like, no, you're just owning like a market representation. Uh, Okay. Okay. So it was about the, the ethical, I mean, I'm putting aside all of the kind of rabbit hole discussions of. Uh, okay, okay, we're you're just getting yeah, because oh my god, that is you know, okay, people who listen to our I podcast, know. you know where that road goes with me and Hadassah. but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know those stocks, they you know in general they kind of tend to earn a higher a higher return, but they're more risky, which means that even though you know, statistically, they'll, they would probably give you a higher return. There is also the risk that they, your money will completely disappear, which is what happened to my father's retirement. But again, that's like the nightmare scenario. It's not the likely scenario. Totally. And like, and there's like tons more information about, about stocks we can go into, but most retirement type funds have a bunch of different stocks in them. And they're also diversifying within the investments themselves. And so exactly. It takes an entire market crash for all of them to disappear. Right. Like what happened in 2008. Totally. And and that would only be a problem if you, unfortunately, like Laura's dad, had to pull the money out in 2008. At that exact moment. Right. Like if like other people at that time were like, this really sucks, but I 
don't need all this money right now. And you had waited until 2016, all the money would have been back. And if you waited till 2021, you would have doubled that money, right? So the thing about having money in stocks, some of you aren't going to like it, but if you don't have your money invested in something, stocks or bonds or property or businesses, that is going to increase the amount of money as compared to inflation, those hard-earned dollars you're putting away are going to buy you less stuff in the future. So figuring something out. Yes. Yeah. And the strategy of where you put your money and how to do it and whatever beyond the scope of this podcast, that is something we can talk about later. A lot, you know, and there are financial, there's basically financial professionals, find one you trust who can help you with that. In general, people tend to when they're early on in their saving journey, when you have a long time before your desired retirement age, people will tend to, you know, the kind of narrative is that you would be willing to take more risks, like Hadassah said, be able to put it into stocks, because if you did, if there was a crash and they diminished in value, they'd have time to increase. And so you kind of want to put them in maybe like more earning willing to take more risk when you're younger, but as you get closer to your retirement age. But like younger still goes into your 50s yes. in this scenario. The idea is when you get really close to your retirement age is pulling those out and starting to put them into safe things. All that said, stocks and bonds, one option. There's also, you can also take that, those savings and invest in other types of things, including real estate or other types of what we call real or like uh, like physical assets where it's like an actual thing if you believe that that thing is going to either earn you money through usage or appreciate in value. So, and there's a whole lot of ethical issues to debate here, you know, but, you know, whether or not people, especially with how real estate has gone lately, but I'm just, again, this is like a giving you the facts moment. Right. How do you create a bag? Exactly. Uh, have a thing that can be used that has use value, right? To make money. Out now, of. here's the a piece of information that I think that isn't clear for people as far as like, we're talking about all these investments. Now, when we talk about savings, savings accounts, there are two big buckets of savings accounts. There are savings vehicles that are, that are, retirement specific investment vehicles you mean or yeah well they can be savings or investment because at least in Canada for example like this is when we're talking about in Canada an RSP and in the US there's like a whole bunch of them like uh, 401k 403b TSP IRA I'm literally just reading the list that Hadassah wrote because I am not an expert in any of these at least in Canada an RSP account is just a bank account and you can put money into it and then just leave it there and it will do nothing. It's just a savings account, but you can take that money and then invest it in stocks or bonds. But the big kind of definition I want to make is that at least in Canada, an RSP is an account where you can save money, but not all savings accounts are RSPs, right? Anybody can have a savings account. And that savings account is like unfettered. You can put money in, you can take money out, you can do whatever you want with it. But governments, at least Canada and the US, have created special retirement savings vehicles. 
and the government has given to those things special tax consideration. They make saving into those kinds of accounts really tax efficient. So you can diminish your taxes, you can save money. And the reason that they do that is because governments want to promote the idea that you should save for your retirement because they want people to have resources to take care of themselves. Now, the big caveats about that, and we're not going to go into the major details about them, is that you might want to look into starting one of these types of investment accounts because the tax savings that you create means that more of the money that you earn today can go into your savings rather than going into government coffers. But the trade-off here is that these accounts are highly regulated and they have limitations. They have limitations on how much money you're allowed to put into them, how much money you're allowed to take out of them, and the circumstances in which you're allowed to take money out of them. At least in Canada, they really don't want you to take money out of your RSP unless you're over the age of 65, i.e. they only want you to take it out when you retire, except for very specific exceptions. And so my kind of caveat there is, I really think, at least in Canada, you know, I think starting an RSP often is a really great idea. But I think that sometimes people just tell you start an RSP, just do it, don't even think about it. And then people do it without knowing what it actually means. So I think that RSP is a or 401k in the US, they're great ways to save more, but they're not the only way to save. Totally. Yeah. I feel like my takeaway on this stuff is like with these like special tax rules accounts, only put money in them that you are certain or like, I mean, life is full of surprises, but that you're fairly certain you will not need yes. for a couple of decades. Right. So have your have your emergency funds not in these this is not where you put your emergency funds you. exactly this is above the emergency funds this should not be your only savings account 100% yeah this is your like retirement specific savings account and yeah in the US there's like tons of accounts there's like tons of different reasons why you might use one or another you don't have to work for somebody else to have a retirement account in the US sometimes your employer will make a retirement account for you you can also have your own retirement account along with your employer's account and contribute to both if you work for yourself you can have a self-employed retirement account and your kind of standard government retirement account which is what's called the IRA there's a couple mm. individual retirement account there's a couple versions of it with different tax treatment but yeah, so like one type of place that you can have and you can have multiple retirement accounts is is these like specific accounts with specific rules about how much money can go in and when you can start taking the money out. Boom. So <clears throat> savings is a bank account. It's not necessarily keeping up with interest. Investing, there's retirement specific accounts and non-retirement, excuse me, investing accounts. In those accounts, you're looking to have your money growing. There's a bit more risk that you're taking on. But in that longer term, a couple of decades from now, when you're trying to tap your nest egg, the idea is that there will be more than if you had just left it in the savings account and that money had lost value. Yeah. And this is how I like to break the risk down for people. If you leave it in the savings account, you can be certain that your money will lose value. If you invest it, there is no guarantee, but a decent likelihood that your money will gain value in the long, long term. One big other thing to say is, at least in Canada, when you put money into an RSP, remember that it doesn't end there. Like for us in Canada, an RSP is just 
if you just put money in and then don't, you know, do anything with it, it's legit just a savings account. It's just that it's a special protected kind of savings account where the money that you put into it is tax exempt. Once the money's in your RSP, you still need to invest it somehow. You need to either put it into stocks or bonds or something to do exactly what Hadassah is saying. So at least in mm-hmm. Canada, like I I don't know in the US if when you invest in these accounts, it automatically joins a pool that is invested. But in Canada, you have to you have to do more. You have to do a thing <laughs> besides just putting money in it. This makes people feel bonkers, but it, it depends on like the, the brokerage that you open it with. So so but the point is make sure that the money's invested. Mm-hmm. These are just account types. These are not investments. This is just like the, this is like the purse. You still need to make sure that the right stuff is in the purse. Okay. Love it. Onwards. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about, so there's pensions that you might get from a job. And then there's also government, social, like social, I mean, we call it social security. Safety yeah. net pensions. So yeah, because when people talk about pensions, I think they're very confused. So let's just make a big wedge here and say, okay. There are govern there are government programs that offer pensions in Canada and the US. So in Canada, we have what we call CPP, the Canada Pension Plan, or if you live in Quebec, Quebec has its own called the Quebec Pension Plan or QPP. And in the US, you guys have social security. And my understanding, and this, you know, the reason that we mention this is just because I think that people sometimes have the they operate under the illusion that these will be sufficient to take care of you. And the reality is that that is very, very unlikely. Yeah, it's it's not that much money. It is not that much money. And, and it's related to your work. Your so if work. you're out on these streets, not filing your taxes, trying to work in cash, it, it's going to, at least in the US, they're going to look at like your 14 highest earning years. So if you're like trying not to file taxes or trying to make less money, your social security will be less than if you had like had more money on the books in the first place. It's a different calculation, but essentially it's the same outcome in Canada. You only get Canada pension or Quebec pension if you pay into the pension through the contributions that are taken from your current labor earnings. Yeah. Oh yeah, which no. only happens if those we earnings are known <laughs> and taxed by the government. That's exactly it. Yeah. So it's a that being said, you know, we get statements every couple of years that tell you if you stopped working today how much pension you would have at the age of 65 and if you kept contributing at the level that you are how much pension you would get at 65 and I feel like it's a fun joke amongst friends to be like got mine. It was terrifying. Like it was, so it's a small amount of money. We mention it because it exists and it's not zero. Mm -hmm. If you, as long as you paid in a little bit, but it's, it's not going to be enough, but it will help. Now that's not the only pension that you could possibly access. Pensions essentially are group, like are usually grouped retirement plans that are arranged by, you know, a large body. The government has the government one for all citizens, but there are pensions that you can potentially get from your job. And like we said, this was very common a couple generations ago. They've been phased out a lot, but there are still jobs that offer pensions. And if you're in a position to move your career 
towards one of these jobs, then it's a great idea to do so. And if if any of those jobs are jobs that you would like to do, then if you want if the you, job. Yeah. If you like don't do a job that you don't want to do, but if you happen to if one of these jobs happens to have a pension, it's great. And you know, right now in Canada at least, basically the places where you're most likely to find a pension job is public service, some kind of public service connected job for us. That's teachers, nurses, you work for the government somehow, or in the private sector, they are companies that still have unions. So the one thing that I want to say about pension is the one thing that you need to understand when you're, because it's, you know, it's less likely that you would have one, but if you're looking at a job and they're offering it and you feel like it's so exciting, the one thing that I would say that you, the one piece of information to know that will help you navigate this and understand what the actual benefit is, is you need to understand the difference between a pension that is what we call a defined contribution plan versus a defined benefit plan. And this is kind of like one of these tricks of like, how the you know how the business world moved also in that kind of you know neoliberal era which is back in the day almost all pension plans were what we called defined benefit plans which is saying if you work this many years for every year that you work now i promise you x amount of dollars when you're older right and do you see what that is? It's the worker, the the company saying, "Work for me now, and I promise you X amount of dollars in the future." That's defined benefit. I'm defining and promising you a a fixed and certain benefit. Defined contribution plan is when a company says, "You work this much time or years for me in the present, and I will give you an amount of money to put into your pension plan today." That's a defined contribution. And what that is, is it's the difference of risk. The company is either saying, I'm going to give you this amount of money to put in your RSP or your 401k today, and then that money is yours. And if the market goes up, good for you. And if the market goes down and you lose it, I'm sorry that happened, but I gave you the money today. Versus a defined benefit plan is the company accepts the risk of the market where the company probably has an investment fund to save for you. And if the market falls, they still have to give you the defined benefit. It's very post 2008, 2009 to have this move to define contribution. Yes. Because I think at some point companies were like, oh shit, we actually, capitalism is so risky. We don't know that we can actually hold on to all this risk. And there's still tons of places out there that have defined benefit plans. So if you do find yourself in that situation, Mazel, you often have to look, there's like a certain amount of years you have to work before you can achieve the full benefit of the defined benefit. So just things to be aware of. Yeah. Like if you find a, if someone offers you a job and they're saying it comes with a pension, just look and see, is it defined contribution, which is still good. That's much better than no pension plan. But if it's a defined benefit plan, that is quite lovely. (laughs) And how long do you have to work for it? Yes. And do you plan to work there for that long? Yes. You know, I think especially in like the early years of a job that has a pension, it would still potentially be wise if you can swing it to also contribute to your own retirement plan. Yes. Because how much would it suck 
to be like, I'm just going to be fine. This benefit, this pension is going to take care of me. But then actually six years in, eight years in, you're like, ooh, I hate this job. <laughs> or yeah. you get some other opportunity that doesn't have a pension. Now you've kind of lost a bunch of time. Yes. The defined benefits, the thing the, for the company, it's a way to keep you there. That's right. Yeah. Defined benefit. They're like, if you work for us for 10 years, we'll give you 50% salary. You're going to have a lot more people likely to work for you for 10 years. But again, if we're thinking about retirement as the state of non-compulsory labor, how do you set up ways where like, if you wanted to, you could walk away from a job that sucks, right? Like, and that was something, I mean, my mom was a teacher, teacher's assistant, excuse me. They had a pension. She didn't find her job super great, but it was like, she ended up staying there because she was like, oh, I'll get like a certain amount of money after I retire. Pro tip, it's not actually that much money, you know? And, and so like, what are you trading for when you're trading for a pension job versus some other jobs? Is it worth the time commitment for a pension yeah. job? It totally might be, but ask, make sure you're asking yourself that question. Exactly. But again, now you have the tools in your toolbox to understand because I think a lot of this for people, they don't know what all these things are. And so now that we've told you all of these things, you know, details. you know, d investing in diminish, you know, diminishing future, doing things in the present to diminish future costs or create uh, a community safety net, ways to save money, create passive income, ways that you can potentially find, uh, get yourself a hold of guarantees of future payments. These are all your potential tools. Now what? Right. I mean, I think step one is do not get depressed. Yeah, even if you feel yourself, you. <laughs> yeah, if you feel yourself careening towards like the ledge of this is totally impossible, I'm going to go just walk away from all of this. Obviously, take care of you, but like you also need to get strategic, right? Like I like to say, like be your own rich dad. Like, look, this is just what's happening, <laughs> right or wrong, like it or not. You have options, you have choices. Start getting strategic. Think about what you could do potentially today to actualize on just one of these options. You don't have to wait. Mm -hmm. Please, in fact, don't wait until like some next month where things are going to be more perfect or easier. That month isn't coming. You have to get going with what is possible for you to do today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I feel like when I'm overwhelmed with stuff and I do think that this, episode, you know, it was a lot and it's a bit of a long episode, but we just kind of wanted to give you, give you the lay of the land. I always say, take a little bit of a step back and see the bigger picture. And the bigger mm -hmm. picture here is think about what you want for your end goal. And that's the end goal for you, not based on what everyone else tells you you should want. Like we talked about at the top of the episode, not everyone dreams of retirement or for everybody, and even for people who do dream of retirement, it's not the same for everybody. It doesn't happen at the same age. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't need, it's not a monolithic thing. So think about what you want. Then think about of all the strategies that we just kind of data dumped on you, which of them are accessible to you? What of them seems like something that you're like, yeah, I, I could do that. That seems like accomplishable. If it's just one of them, then go for it. If there's more than one, just pick one. Just break it down to one. 
either pick the easiest, pick the most impactful, pick just the one you're most likely to actually accomplish, and then go ahead. Whatever you'll do. Yeah, go ahead and put it in action. And if I can give you one piece of advice as somebody who has some serious executive dysfunction as far as like I make a lot of beautiful plans and then don't necessarily accomplish those things, my one of my tricks is give yourself a deadline because especially when it's something like this, like retirement is something really far in the future, it's really easy to procrastinate about actions related to it because it's so far in the future. So give yourself a serious deadline to just take a single action, whether that's walking down the street to the bank and opening an RSP account or logging on. If you already have an RSP account that you've been ignoring, just logging onto your online banking and setting up auto contributions or going in and being like, oh, I I didn't know that I had to actually take what I put in there and put it into something and just go in and buy some whatever bonds or anything. So just any, any action. Yeah. Anything that you do is better than the inaction that you weren't taking. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and, and so this is where, like, I just want to give you like set up future you. So you can always make it better later. You can always make it more perfect later. You can always make it more, whatever ideal of like the best, most ethical thing that you wanted it to be later. If you don't have the money starting net. Like if you don't start with the money, you're not going to have any money to make those choices later. And I want you to think about setting yourself up to be able to make better and better choices in the future. And even if you're like, but I won't have as much as I want. That's okay. Like you'll have more than more zero. Than nothing. I, more than it's nothing. more than nada, you know? Okay. So we got to end it. We got to end it. We got to end it. Indeed. We're going to end this with a story though, right? Yeah. We wanted to end this with sharing with you. We just asked you to think of the future you. So we're going to tell you the future us. So Hadassah, what is, and it, this is not all of your retirement <laughs> visions, because of course that's a whole other episode. No. <laughs> Please share with us just one motivating vision of your retirement that helps you work towards that goal. Yeah, absolutely. So like when I was, I don't know, 28 or 30, I opened a Roth IRA, which is just like a special type of individual retirement account that uh, you don't have to pay taxes on later when you pull the money out. And I never got a ton of money in there, but it came from freelance work that I was doing. And so as I would put the money in, I would just be like, this is going to fund my three-wheeled motorcycle when I'm old. Like I was just like, I've got this like accessibility slash wildness dream. And, you know, like I'm not putting time to this account, but I've got like decades for it to cook. So I'm imagining I'm going to have enough for like the trike of my dreams. And I'm just going to cruise it when I got a little more time. Love it. I can I can mm-hmm. see you on that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's right. My retirement vision is kind of similar, which is the idea of a never-ending road trip. Mm-hmm. Like Handy and I, our favorite activity is road trips, traveling by ground. We love, we love that. And, you know, my family has often lived in either trailer parks or in mobile homes, but like my grandparents had a a trailer for a lot of their old age and that's what they lived in full time moved it around depending on the season Cute. and honestly i know that uh i know that it seems like it doesn't it's not a very like fancy retirement but just the idea that i could go all kinds of places and visit friends just be on a never ending 
visit with friends in a lot of different places. That's the dream. Well, I hope that you make it down to Colorado. <laughs> I will. With I will. your never-ending road trip. I will. <laughs> Good. All right, friends. Well, thank you for sticking with us through this wild episode. As always, comments, feedback are truly appreciated. We read them. We do. Indeed. In season one, we had a whole episode about investing. And in season two, we gave a little bit more about some of our other dreams and stories. So if you haven't checked out those seasons, feel free to go back. Please give them a listen. And also, if you are listening to the podcast, you should know about our Patreon, which is if you are um, a patron, you will get this podcast in video a couple days before it's released to everybody else. So not only do you get our gorgeous little faces, you get the information sooner and you help us pay our fantastic audio editor who we are very grateful to. Shout out Erica Ricketts. Thank you. Thank you for pulling this together. So consider becoming a patron of bottom lines, top dollars. You can give us two bucks, four bucks or more, but it uh, super helps us keep this going for you. So... That's it, folks. That's what I got. Get to it. (laughs) Yeah, get started. (laughs) Go right now. Okay. (laughs) Bye, sweetie. Uh, Bye. (laughs) This has been another episode of Bottom Lines, Top Dollars, a podcast made by queer anti-capitalist finance professionals who, like you, don't trust financial systems. And are obsessed with understanding and hacking them. Your hosts are the ladies who crunch. That's me, Laura Boo. And me, Hadassah Damian from Ride Free Fearless Money. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and review us on whatever podcast app you use. And please keep sharing our show with your friends and social media networks. We get so much joy whenever we see people share our content or tag us in their posts. We do. And also a big thanks to our current Patreon supporters who enabled us to hire an amazing sound editor for this season, Erica Ricketts. Thank you, Erica. And y'all, Erica rules. So if you need a sound editor, find her at ericaricketts.com. That's Ricketts spelled with two T's. And if you aren't already, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash bottom lines, top dollars. All patrons get access to our podcast episodes early and in full video format. Oh my God, see our outfits. And so we're going to take all of those funds from Patreon and keep putting them towards things like sound editing and other production costs, helping make the show better, and hopefully allowing us to make more episodes each year. And you can stay tuned for those episodes by following us online. Uh, And you can also send us questions for our listener mail episode through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and email. You can find us by searching either Bottom Line's Top Dollars or Ladies Who Crunch. Our website is ladieswhocrunch.club and our email is bottomlinestopdollars at gmail.com. And remember, kids, it's okay to think capitalism is total shit because it is while also learning to survive and thrive within it. Mm -hmm. So until next time, friends, dismantle the system and take care of each other. Bye. Bye.